For the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome back to another episode, a special episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. This is our tribute to Charlie Watts, uh, who you all know sadly passed away. And uh, I'm going to just uh, toss this over to Jason. We got our guests ready to go, and we're just going to get into this and uh, see if we can make it through it. Jason, why don't you introduce our guest, please? Yep, I am happy to introduce our guest. I'm not happy why we have him on, but it's happy to talk to him again. It's somebody we had on the podcast already from one of my favorite bands. It's Mr. Pat Muzingo from Junkyard. How you doing, Pat? Hey guys. Hey Brian. Hey Jason. How are you? Nice good, to see you good. again. Sorry we're yeah. sorry we're talking on a sad subject, but it's good to see you. Yeah, this kind of sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, man. Really, like it's like rock oh, legends fuck. dying. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, when, when Dusty passed, that was a knife to the gut. I mean, especially for, for all of us in Junkyard because of the, the fact, I mean, early on ZZ Top really meant a lot to our career. Yeah. There were so many ZZ Top covers that we, that we did, not just Tush, but we did uh, Just Got Paid and we did yep. a couple more very early on. And, uh, and I mean, it, it was, god it just it was it hurt really bad and then you know when when we all found out that you know steve uh steve jordan you know an amazing drummer that i think any drummer in their right mind bows down to when we heard that steve jordan was going to be taking charlie's place it was like oh that's not good right and um and of course you know the me the whoever they handled that situation did very great at it they didn't leak any information and uh but you know of course when you know the news hit uh two days ago it was just like oh no and i i i was on you know because i do web design and programming Mm -hmm. i immediately get the the notice like as soon as it happens and i you know go on facebook i'm like anybody else posting about this i'm like oh my god nobody and i'm like okay well maybe it's bullshit maybe it's fake yeah. So I put that, I, you know, posed that out there and uh, unfortunately I was incorrect. And uh, so the rest of the day was kind of, uh, kind of reminiscing about not only Charlie's style, his playing, it was nice hearing all the old stories that I've heard a million times, especially when, you know, Charlie goes down to deal with Nick and <laughs> <laughs> the old, and it's <laughs> you're my singer, I'm not your drummer story. I think I even got a call from my mom asking me if I ever did that with David. And I'm like, no, it's never, I'm like, we're not that kind of band, you know, I, we share rooms together. We don't have individual rooms, but if we did, um, yeah, I don't think I would do that, but, uh, 
but yeah, it was, um, it was really a, a kind of a gut wrenching day. And I spent most of the time, most of the day kind of just going back and, uh, I went back and listened to, um, the jazz, uh, the jazz album that he did with, I believe it was a Danish or uh, Janus Danish, uh, quintet or quartet. I can't remember. Or it might've been a big band or something like that. And I went back and listened to that and it was, that was nice to listen to, except for, I mean, they did a weird version of Satisfaction that was kind of like, it's like <laughs> elevator music. And I was like, all right, you know, skip that or whatever. But Charlie always, you know, Charlie sounded good. But then, and then that led me back to um, going back in time and uh, <clears throat> realize, I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> excuse me, what was the first Stones album that really influenced me where, um, we're growing up, my sisters had Exile on Main Street on like, you know, full blast all the time. And I, you know, I was always listening, you know, listening through the walls going, what the hell is that all about? One of the best rock listening. albums of all time, man. Okay. It's fantastic. One of the best albums to, get, I mean, I was lucky that I got to listen to it through the walls of, um, and my sisters and got there, got to see it through their eyes, even though I didn't understand what was going on at the time. And then as time grew, as time went on, and especially during probably the 1985, 86 scene in LA, uh, there wasn't an apartment that you went to that didn't have that album on. And when everybody, when you walked into anybody's apartment, I don't care who it was, especially probably 85, you walk into somebody like Izzy Stradlin's apartment, or you walk into my apartment, or you walk into our drug dealer's apartment, and that <laughs> album is on, and on the table is, what you need to get through <clears throat> listening to that album correct back then, which was a lot of chemicals <laughs> that's, uh, you know, unfortunately some people made it through with those chemicals and some people didn't, but uh, it was a nice, uh, it was a nice uh, complimentary piece to exile. And of course, when that stopped, you know, I went and then I went back and kind of revisited it from a sober standpoint, it just meant so much more to me and especially Charlie's playing on it because it's just so, and especially when you're listening with headphones and now in this day and age, I mean, I've got these AirPods that are noise reduction and everything. I hear everything. Oh my God, the stuff that he's doing is so graceful. So, so just like so blase, but yet so intentional. And it's almost intentional to be that he plays along, not even that he plays along. It's almost that he commands the type of respect where Keith has got to play his rhythm his right hand has to be going with Charlie with the hat. And that's where I, I don't know where the whole, I, to tell you the truth, I don't know the, um, the origin of how when Charlie plays, he lifts his, uh, he lifts his right hand every time he hits the snare. I don't know the origin of that, but, but if you look at Keith doing that and you look at Charlie doing that, maybe they both have tennis elbow or I, I don't, <laughs> they are I don't well, <laughs> pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, and even when they were young they were old so right <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> there's nothing weirder than seeing a picture of those guys when they were like young young and like black and white like in the early 60s Charlie was a grandfather back then <laughs> yeah. but he still looked cool as shit and he wore yeah. a suit and all that so then uh and then later on through the day you know I would pop on you know I'd pop on besides popping on exile I'd pop on um the first record that I mentioned to you guys earlier uh, that I bought with my own money with like lawn mowing money or whatever in 1978, which was some girls. And it was, it was the type of thing. I didn't know it was out. And, uh, and I went to the record store and saw it in the bin. It was like, you gotta be kidding me. What the hell is this? It's a, it's a, it, this is the, uh, this is the J card that you see 
at my mom's salon for different styles of hairdo back then. I mean, they, and they would pass it around on a laminated thing because they didn't want all the, you know, Aquanet to go all over the place or whatever. <laughs> and I just remember looking at it and I'm going, all right, everybody looks cool. I'm like, totally looks weird. <laughs> all the other guys look all right. <laughs> like, totally looks weird. I'm getting this, I'm getting this. I'm going to take it home. I'm going to put it on. And uh, I put it on and, uh, you know, first track, I just was like, oh fuck it's just disco I'm like nah i'm like forget I'm, i gave it i gave it 15 seconds i'm like forget it I'm gonna you weren't a it. disco guy no no not then no my sister said got into disco which is which was great because then i got to cop all their old hendrix records or stones record the zeppelin record i got into pink floyd and then i got into their stash which made me even more into pink floyd but uh that's a different story altogether <laughs> But uh, just when I, I, I was like, okay, I picked up the needle and I put it and I was like, I, I just, I just gravitated towards the title of respectable. And I was just like, I gravitate, I, I had to, I dropped the needle on that. And it was like a bolt. It was like a race car that just went out of the gate. And even though it's not fast, but it's just, I mean, the weird syncopated roles that Charlie does and the whole vibe of it, it, and he plays as much as he is a human metronome, and, and there's probably other people that disagree with me on this. He plays so, he plays behind the beat. He's got the groove, mm -hmm. and the rest of the band is probably on the beat perfectly, but Charlie is behind the beat, yet he's like, if you put him up against a click track, he will be consist consistently behind the beat. And, um, and there's no drummer except for probably Steve Jordan because of mm -hmm. Steve Jordan is Steve Jordan right. that can actually do that. There's a few guys with the, you have to have a jazz background, I think, to do that. And um, you also have to command the respect that, and hence the name of the song, that these guys are, you all got to follow me and because it, I'm the engine. And if I, you know, if I crap out, y'all are going to crap out. Mm -hmm. So, and, and he took it and he commanded the respect and he was up there like a king on that riser and, uh, and, uh, and as well, he should, should be, and is, is still in my mind, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, he's definitely one of, he's an influence because also I grew up on, you know, a lot of jazz stuff before I discovered, you know, rock, oh, did you really? punk rock. Yeah, I got to, I was playing in the jazz band, uh, in my high school jazz band uh, in e Rock from uh, 1977 to 79, and which uh, in 79, um, they offered, they, in 70, late 78, 79, they were like, hey, you want to do a marching band? And I was like, oh, yeah, way less responsibility. Uh, you got the funny uniforms, and <laughs> I only have to do this once a week, rather than jazz band, where it was like every night, I had to play Sunday night gigs, but I got to, I got to see a lot of, uh, pretty intense drummer wise drummers uh buddy rich louis belson um uh got to see some other uh other musicians shelly mann um oh my god there's uh, so many that come to mind and as well as the musicians that attended eagle rock high school because it was the high school jazz band that opened up and during that era that i went and saw the jazz greats the Eagle Rock High School jazz, senior jazz band, all of those guys went on to play with Dolly Park, Tom Jones, um, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Herb Alpert, all these like greats. So I got to see, I got to really see like the, the, the young guys that were gonna be studio, heavy duty studio musicians 
which was great. And uh, one of which was Carlos Vega, who used to play with James Taylor, who unfortunately committed suicide uh, later on in life. But um, I remember hanging out with him and I was like, hey, what do I listen to? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like seventh grade. No, I was in sixth grade back then. Like, I want to play drums. What do I hit to? And he told me, he goes, he, so he told me two things. He goes, first off, get a Stones record. And he goes, second off, I'm going to hook you up with Jeff Picaro and you need to get drum lessons. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I got my <laughs> leather jacket on that my mom bought me and like embroidered a Red Baron Charlie Brown patch. <laughs> That's awesome. Which she must have had a precursor to like, oh, he's going to end up putting patches on his stuff later on. So I better like start this now. <laughs> start with Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, start with Charlie Brown. And then as time goes on, junk air and all other crap. But <laughs> But uh, yeah, Charlie is, uh, you know, to me, listen, especially I listened to that track probably about 14 or 15 times today. And uh, it just, I, there's subtle little uh, fills that he does in there that I didn't realize that, oh my God, I rip him off left and right. <laughs> and I think everybody does. Sure. I mean, they're, they're basic fills, but I mean, these are, these are, this is the OG basic fill. This is the OG guy that, you uh when you notice those roles come in are those subtle graceful no graceful snare hits or especially when he's hitting the brushes on uh far away eyes it's just like fuck wow you know and i i guess you know in hindsight i wish as a kid that i would could have been able to listen to it more at, from an adult aspect than a uh than a teenager, a teenager with angst aspect, you know, where I could go, I was more concentrating on the high, high end sure. energy stuff. Where now as I'm, you know, 56 years old, and now I want to go back and listen to all the low, not low energy stuff, but all the like, you know, groove stuff, you know, right. and sit back and the nuanced, the nuanced, the nuance, the stuff that, you know, that you're supposed to listen to at this age. <laughs> Just not beating the hell of a set. Yeah, instead of that loud rock and roll shit. Right, and, uh, yeah, who wants to do that? Oh, God, I, yeah, and that's, that's you know, and uh, I, I am taking a cue from Charlie, and as I mentioned to you guys about a year ago, I found out that I've got a, um, I've got a pretty bad cervical spine issue uh, going on in my neck where I've got a couple of discs that are bulging and driving me like crazy. And my, both my doctor, my physical therapist, my wife, my cat, my daughter, my mom, everybody <laughs> under the sun is like, stop banging your fucking head while you're playing. Stop it. You can still hit hard. That doesn't involve your neck. So, but just stop doing that. So, um, so a year ago I went out and got myself uh, some, uh, some nice shirts and got myself a suit jacket and uh, actually played my first show, my first, but I didn't play the whole show with the suit jacket on, but we recently played in uh, Green Bay a couple yeah. of weeks ago. And I got up there on stage and thank God the opening act, the, the drummer put a uh, air con or a fan out there that was blowing like real nice cool air. And I put my jacket, I was like, oh, I'm leaving the jacket on, fuck it. And I'm sitting there playing. I'm like, oh, I'm having a blast. I look around. I'm like, finally, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this off because it might get a little hot later. Yeah. And uh, so I think, yeah, so I, I did four songs with the jacket on. So. You know, with these two, with these two, you got to build up, up to it. You got to build up, you know? Yeah. And I'm the type of guy that likes to go in head first, which is probably the reason why my neck is uh, jaw jacked <laughs> up. But <laughs> I, uh, I, um, I came across a clip of, of, of all the time in the world just out of random. <laughs> fucking video. <laughs> God, that was, I mean, well, unfortunately, my frame of reference at that point was, uh, uh, Geffen gave us a, a, a clothing budget and I'm a yeah. drummer. 
and they and I went and got pants that were like a thousand dollars. I'm like, I'm a drummer, really? And then they were like, Well, who do you want to emulate in the video when you gonna when it gets dressed up like? And at that point, um, uh, God, I think it was Phantasmagoria by the Dam came out. Oh. And I looked at I looked at Dave and I'm like, I want I want that shirt and I want my hair to be slicked back like that and I want a gray you know I want a gray streak in my hair. Well. They got the the fluffy shirt right, but they didn't get the streak in the whole video. Like, oh god, what were we thinking? Although, I got to say this: Brian, Chris, Brian and Chris and Todd, their shirts came from a place called Nudies out in the Valley that is world famous for uh, country western shirts. Hmm. Those guys, they look cool, but me and David, now nah, we'll, we'll pass on that. Video. Well, I will say on that video for that video, it's a great song. It is a good song. It's got a it's got a great groove to it. It yeah. really does. I brought it up because you were like really like I mean, talking about the headbanging thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that was a lot of headbanging going yeah. on there. Uh, trying to show, I think we were all trying to show off because we had um, we had a girl dancing in a martini glass that was not quite Playboy model material, but she was in the subsequent uh, Playboy material, like the Playboy lingerie model. Yeah. So we we're all trying to show off for her. You know, little um, do we know. We're joking. We're not gonna get a Playboy model. She's like, she didn't give us a time of day. And then the girl with the with the uh, big Vegas headdress on, she was very cool, partly because she was a Vegas showgirl. Yeah. And she was like, This is what I do for a living. And we're like, oh, you're rad. So none of us tried to pick up on her. We just wanted to know about, you know, how do you do this with this fucking thing on? And the other one, I guess, got mad and she took off. So but uh, yeah, that video was, uh, is a, I mean, when we were recorded that song originally with Ed Stasium, it was, we knew something was up with that song because it did have that, uh, oh, that's great. That, that swagger to it, you know, but unfortunately well, the video just <laughs> shit, the, shit the bed, I guess. It was, it was no Billy Squire video dance. What was that song that just that video that essentially ruined his career? <laughs> I oh, can't remember. The, the, it was the he was dancing around in the pink. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the yeah, the I, I'll, I'll take ten of those right over any all the time of the world video. Jeez. From getting back to from a technical point, uh, and I've heard that lots before about how Charlie played behind the beat. You know, so I, you know, you're a drummer. Like, I, like I said, I've heard that, but I don't know how to hear it when it when I'm listening to his music. How, how can you explain that more in detail? Uh. Uh, let's see. Um, so say you're cruising down the highway and you're going beyond the speed limit. So you're hitting like about like 92 or something like that. Well, you get into a certain, it's almost like a certain groove when you're cruising through traffic. You, you're, and the, the way that you got to think when you think ahead as you're cruising through traffic, you're like, well, I'm going to speed up, but I got to slow down because I got to pass these guys and pass these guys. And it's an ebb and a flow and an ebb and a flow. But you still got to, you don't want to ever hit your brakes because you're going so fast. You don't want to cause, you know, the, the two people in, that are behind you that are speeding after you, you know, you don't want to jack them. So it's basically just kind of a, um, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's a feeling and everybody can just, you know, pass it off on that, but it's just, it's, uh, it's feel, it's a groove that you get to and you're not, a you know, when you're doing it, when you're not aware of it. And that's probably the hardest thing, but basically it's kind of like, I would say, um, what's, what would be a good reference point, especially on some girls, like 
probably just my imagination would be a good like way if you're listening to just my imagination the guitars feel like they're rushing a little bit but they're but they're not they're perfectly sitting in that place where charlie's doing like da, 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 and it almost sounds like his drum rolls are out of time but if you like take a device and go do, 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 to it it will you will hear it go do, do, do. It, it's almost like a it's a millisecond behind but but he also kind of instead of doing a syncopated roll it's almost like a sloppy roll but not i i guess that's probably a bad term well it's the only terminology i could think of because i'm sloppy as well but it's a slop it's a slop roll it's a, it's just uh but it but it's it's in time but it's in time and it's yeah. perfect it's like it's so it's it took me so long to figure out how to play behind the beat and especially me as a as a growing up and playing jazz drums i mean it was um i always had a click track embedded in my brain and that was one thing that i do appreciate from my music teacher uh from Eagle Rock High School, uh, he was up there on the day as just slamming down this big drumstick. And, uh, you know, of course you never asked him. It's like, dude, you're out of time. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you, you get, that drumstick will go and hit you in the head. Uh, but I think that's where he kind of would yell at me. He's like, no, nah, you're, you're rushing, you know, you're dragging. He's like, that's a good drag. And I was like, what the fuck is a good drag? And then finally, I figured I was like, "Oh, I get, I kind of get what he's saying. It's just, you know, it's, it's feeling it, but not having to jump, uh, not being so excited. It's a, it's a calm uh, vibe of also, I've got to make sure that I am, I'm perfectly that I, I'm driving this car, and these other guys that are in front of me, man, they're going to get into an accident if I speed up and slow down too much, or if I blast or a stop sign or which would be fucking up a break, I guess, or something. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just more like, you know, I got, I got a groove more. And especially as time went on with, with Charlie. And uh, I think it was, I, I'm not sure on when he really started exploring jazz. I think it was like the eighties, the mid eighties or something like that. Uh, but uh, you can kind of tell that there was a little more swagger to what he was doing even though he had already kind of he had already mastered i mean ma he mastered his own plane or whatever or he had already gotten to that point where everybody was paying attention to him going oh man this guy grooves and especially back then there were drummers that were grooved i mean there's you know oh god there was mitch mitchell you know who who played a little too far behind the beat I'd say sometimes he was about three days behind the beat, uh, probably not even showing up to the show. But uh, and uh, but you had a couple other guys that did have the swagger, but not like Charlie. And it was, um, I mean, you know, a lot of that is just in the blood. You yeah, know, you, you, you can't you can't teach it, but you can sure analyze the hell out of it and figure it out. And uh, Plus, I mean, come on, look at so the day Charlie died. I mean, I think on the larger tours, didn't they go out in the front? And they had their own like small little setting where they did the acoustic stuff. Yeah. Well, Charlie got it. I saw a picture. Charlie's out there on a drum set. And I'm like, hey, that's kind of like my setup. It's like kick drum, snare drum, a couple cymbals. That's it. It's like, that's all you need. And if you can't do it with that, if you can't get a crowd going with just a basic beat and a couple little flourishes here and there, then at that point, you know, you know, you may want to 
look inward and go, if the crowd's not grooving, you know, and they're sitting there like stiff like that, you may want to learn to play a little bit behind the beat, you know, and especially that the, the two guests that you have on tomorrow, I got to say, they know how to, you know, the guy from the uh, Steepwater band, he, he gets it, you know, and I haven't heard the girl play drums. She's a guitar player, right? She's right. a guitar player now, but she played drums in a lot of band is, and started as a drummer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I that, I don't, I only know her from the guitar playing, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy from Steepwater, he, he gets it, you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things. It's, there's very few people. I shouldn't say there's very few people. There's a lot of people that say they get it. And there's a lot of people that just do it. And right. uh, there's, there's, there's a few out there. So I once heard uh, Izzy say that about Steven Adler, that he played behind the beat. Um, I also had someone once tell me that, that Charlie followed Keith. That's a, that, that makes sense, especially about when you're dealing with, um, when you're dealing with trying to fill holes. I mean, the last thing, the last thing any drummer, well, I shouldn't say the last thing any drummer wants to do is to pull, to overplay because there is a lot of overplayers out there. But when you got songs that are songs, when you got melodies, the last thing a drummer wants to do is go in there and muck it up with some kind of weird role that all of a sudden people are like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, I got a weird chill or something like that. Every time I hear a fill that doesn't make any sense, that's going against the vocals or like brushing up against the guitar or something. It's almost like I got woken up from a nice deep deep sleep. It's like God, why did you do that? You just pissed up, you fucked up the song, and you just messed, you know. And I'm awake now. But um, but with Charlie, it's see, I can see that. I mean, I was all I I was also raised following guitar players mostly because they were playing so damn loud <laughs> that I had to follow their hands because their the, the stuff that was coming out of the amps was just white noise. So I had to follow their hands to figure out the rhythm. And finally, I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, I'm following that guy." But uh, if you do listen to a lot of the uh, Charlie's fills, they don't muck anything up. They don't go against Mick. They don't go against Keith. Um, they don't go against the song structure. They don't go against the payoff, the chorus, or the uh, tag at the end or anything. Uh, so it's it's all gracefully put in there, mathematically thought. But for Charlie, it was just like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's, just, yeah, it's what I do. It's like, of course it's what you do because you're fucking Charlie Watts. <laughs> and we all strive to be like that. But unfortunately, they don't teach you that kind of stuff in school. Right. You know, it's the kind of stuff you learn on the road or playing with guys for so long. And you learn to basically just kind of play off of each other without even looking at each, at each other or talking with each other. It's just almost like a, it's a, it's a welcome nod, which I did see Charlie do a lot. I don't know what, to which side he was looking at, whether he was looking at, you know, looking over at Keith or looking over at the monitor guy or looking over at Woody or whatever. <laughs> he could have been looking at the monitor guy going, yeah, like mm, more, more snare. This is bullshit. I can't hear anything. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, Patrick, uh, before we let you go, thank you for, uh, you know, talking about your, you know, feelings towards Charlie and your experience with all that. Um, well, what do you guys got going on in Junkyard before we sign off here? A new single. Uh, Tell we, us about the new single. Yes, we got the uh, Lifer, uh, Last of a Dying Breed single that drops uh, worldwide or digitally, I guess, or whatever. Uh, whatever they do it now nowadays, right? Whatever yeah. The kids are well, doing. We, what are those crazy kids are doing? <laughs> That's on uh, September 10th. It drops as well as the video that we shot a couple or three, right? 
right as soon as we all got vaccinated and we're allowed to be in the same room together, we were like, let's get, let's knock this fucking video out before anything bad happens. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, so we knocked that out and um, vi- we, the, the single is coming out on CD as well as um, on, um, I think, black spat- splatter vinyl and blue vinyl. The unfortunate thing with that, that's a, that's a heavy pre-order that, uh, that Rick from Acetate is really hoping that those pre-orders will be able to ship by the end of the year. Because unfortunately, when you got Junkyard Lifer and you got Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon at the vinyl pressing house, <laughs> the chances are they're going to go with Dark Side of the Moon. And, uh, you know, oh, we got like five, we got like 1,500 Junkyard singles. Well, they can wait until the end of the year. I did see the test, the, t- the testing of it. You guys posted, I think, on Instagram not too long yeah, ago. Yeah, we yeah. Got our, that's, we have to, uh, our label, uh, Rick has to, from Acetate, he's got to, he's got to listen to it and sign off on it before they can even go into any production. So um, that was the very, they've, after a year and a half, he finally got the test pressing and he sent me that video and I'm like, you, you post it, we'll repost it. And at that point, I almost felt like, finally, I'm going, we're all, well, me, all of us. You were pregnant for two years. We're finally in, we've got, we're in contractions, (laughs) you know, rush us to the hospital because it's almost given, it's almost time to give birth. And, uh, and we'll be debuting it. uh, I think on September 7th, we're uh, Todd and I are doing a podcast and I can't remember off the top of my head right now who it's with, but, um, We'll be premiering the whole song finally because we've leaked nice. uh, we've leaked live versions of it. Yep. We've leaked the studio version of it, thirty seconds here and there. So finally, we're going to be able to dump it uh, on the seventh. And then, speaking of uh, September tenth, we'll actually be in Fresno on September tenth. I feel like Bill Maher doing like a, a comedy plug, <laughs> and it's like by the besides the release that we have, I'll be at the uh, you know the casino and blah, blah, blah. So we'll be in uh, Fresno on September 10th at a place called Fulton 45 with my old band Speed Buggy as direct support. And then the next night we'll be in San Francisco at Bottom of the Hill as well with Speed Buggy as direct support. So you're so, doing double uh, duty. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I oh, may no. sit in with, I mean, no, uh, they got a, they got a really great drummer at, okay. at the moment. And um, they just recently actually got their original, our, are theirs, whatever, our uh, original guitar player back in the band. So they're just firing on all those cylinders. So, uh, and this is a, it, we kind of wanted to do this with them because last year with the pandemic and stuff, we had a two week tour planned with them uh, during the summer. So that kind of got, you know, fucked in the drive through, so to say. But uh, so at least we could do a couple of shows with them. And then after, after that, after the Fresno, San Francisco lifer video and lifer release date and everything. Uh, then we're kind of, uh, we don't have much going on until December. And then in December we're playing, we definitely have three shows in uh, Texas, uh, one at Austin city limits, uh, one at uh, the rail club in uh, Fort Worth and uh, one at a place called Cooters in Eagle Pass, Texas. Besides those, we may or may not have seven shows wrapped around that that could be starting in chicago and go to indianapolis um little rock um and a few other places so that that should work itself out probably in the next two to three weeks and we'll be announcing that i'll be watching because you're coming in my direction i want to go see you guys yes we are yeah we are definitely there could be two shows in indianapolis one acoustic and one electric and the one that's acoustic it's going to be a nice, small, intimate venue, you know, with like a, our, our crowds getting more. Uh, I don't want to go into the spinal tap thing. That would. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe going to hit the hook and ladder theater again in the Twin Cities. 
Actually, we are. Uh, we had a great time. Um, God, that that the run that we just did with in Minneapolis, uh, Green Bay, and Chicago, uh, it was fantastic. It was nice to see people out. Um, I think people. Uh, I think we got a lot of people that had not seen us since 1989 and were very excited to just be out of the house because they were like, "Here's my yeah. record, please sign it." And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, okay." But uh, Hook and Ladder was great. Uh, we're probably going to be heading back and doing that same exact run probably in March or April because uh, all three shows did so well. And I, I can't say enough for, uh, I can't say that I can't give enough praises to the uh, promoter for all three shows, how they, uh, they went above the, the writer contract and really just took care of us. Nice. And, uh, and they were, they were compensated by, you know, us. We, we actually drew, we drew double the amount of people that we normally did. So it was, uh, it was, it was fun for all. So and for sure. We had a well, blast. I can't wait to see you guys live sometime, hopefully soon. You will. You will soon. Well, thank you to, sure. to Pat Mazingo from Junkyard for uh, being with us to add his thoughts and tribute to Charlie Watts. Uh, next, we'll be talking to Joe Winters from the Steepwater Band and Tracy Hightop from Jane Lee Hooker. So you guys stay tuned for that. And thank you again, Pat. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, I'll, I'll have me and Tim will probably come and check back in a couple of weeks after the live release. That way we can get your guys' uh, take on life or video versus all the time in the world video. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> right. Oh, so am I. I want to bash that all the time in the world video. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Uh, Pat Mazingo from Junkyard for joining us. Uh, we have two uh, special guests here this morning. Uh, Jason, can you tell uh, listeners who we have today for yep. Charlie um, Watts tribute? Yeah, we have two people here uh, on the on the uh, podcast today to, to talk a little bit about Charlie. We're welcoming uh, Joe Winters from the Steepwater Band and Tracy Hightop from Jane Lee Hooker. How are, how are you two doing? Hey, guys. Hello. Doing, doing all right, despite the circumstances. Yeah, Tracy, it's nice to talk to you again, but unfortunately, it's bad circumstances. Joe, have you been on? You were on before I think I joined, you, right? Yeah, he was the very first guest on the podcast. Oh, wow. The very so, first inaugural podcast. <laughs> so, so I don't know who wants to start. Uh, just, you know, talk about how you got in the stones and what Charlie meant to you and his playing and how that relates to your playing. So I don't know, Joe, do you want to start and we'll go to Tracy? Okay. I, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, the guy to me was like the, the epitome of like class and style, you know, he, he, 
was the you know the backbone and the 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 eye of the hurricane around the Rolling Stones, my favorite band of you know that that meant the world to me. And I feel like that couldn't have been an easy job, you know, but it was always to me like inspiring because he I always heard that his like mission, his whole thing was to keep Keith happy. As long as Keith and Mick were happy, then he was doing his job. And I think he took it really seriously in that way. And that's 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 how I feel when I'm playing a gig, when I'm when I'm behind Steepwater. I, I've been in the band for 23 years. And as long as everyone else is happy and feeling good and 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 having a good gig and liking what's happening with the groove, then I'm cool. Like it's not about me. It's about the other players. And I took that from Charlie. That's like was always my uh inspiration you know because you, you just a guy just he was a rock you know he might smile a couple times a gig here or there you know and but he's very serious about making sure the groove was was right for Mick and Keith and um and and he did it with all the class and style of in the world you know and and for me I, I he's my favorite you know as far as uh rock and roll drummers go that that's the benchmark that's that's what I'm shooting for every night, you know? I mean, he had a pocket and a feel and um, it, it, when you'd hear it instantly, it was Charlie Watts, you know? And um, and how many musicians of every genre would talk about him being like, like the human metronome, like the like clock-like timing, you know? And, and, and he was. And, and lastly, and then Tracy, I'll let you get, get some words in here. I'm sorry. Oh, this is awesome. I'm so happy to hear you say all this. Drummers talk drumming, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> lastly, uh, what was I going to say? I don't even know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad law. I know what I was going to say. I guess just that you, the stones are supposed to last forever, you know? I mean... When I saw the news, I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even process it. You know, like it's the Stones, man. They're supposed to go on forever. You know, like I, I don't know. I, I have tickets for their first show back in St. Louis. Apparently, it's going on, and Steve Jordan's going to play drums, and um, he's another one of my favorites. But uh, and he's Keith's solo drummer, so mm -hmm. we'll see. But anyway, go ahead, Tracy. What? What's going on? Can you hear my dogs in the background? So usually uh, Brian and I have our dogs bark during the podcast. I'm so glad somebody else is. <laughs> you know what? As, as Brian likes to say, we are a very animal-friendly podcast. We, we you know Our dogs bark. We have cats show up. Tracy's dog. <laughs> Tracy has a really cute dog. She posts a lot of pictures on social media. Yeah, we have, uh, we have two French bulldogs that are just... So cute and so fun. They're great dogs. Awesome. Um, yeah, we love them. They're they're like kids to us. It's it's kind of nuts, but I didn't know bulldogs bark like that. Oh yeah, if somebody comes to the door, it's like the end of the world for them. They go absolutely <laughs> nuts. Then they fight each other to like bark the loudest <laughs> at the door, and then you have to separate them. And then they're just like, oh hi, come on in. <laughs> like, it's just craziness. But, I, you know, thank you so much for having me because, first of all, you guys don't even really know me as a drummer, but, you know, I started drumming at like 
I got my first real set from my parents when I was just about five years old. And before I played guitar, I learned how to play drums and I learned to play drums by, you know, just kind of, uh, teaching myself and watching the Partridge family. That was a really big show for me. Like I, I, I actually, when I first set up my drums, I mirrored how it was on TV and I, my parents didn't get me a set with like all the parts. So I actually, for the first three or four years was playing lefty with, just because I was mirroring what was going on in the oh, TV. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've always been a drummer. I'm a way better drummer than I am a guitar player. Um, and people, it, it surprises me when people are um, are surprised that I'm really a drummer because it's been so long now that I've been playing just guitar. But, you know, the Rolling Stones are my favorite band. They have been since, you know, I don't remember a time that they weren't. When I think about like the amount of hours that I've heard Charlie Watts playing, like I haven't talked or heard anyone else's voice in my entire life, more than Charlie, like the hours, if you added up all the hours, I've heard Mick Jagger singing and I've heard Charlie Watts drumming more, more than anything else that I've done consistently over, you know, over the hours. Wow. So, um, you know, when I, when I was, I was young when I started and, but I found that I could um, really l learn from playing along with Charlie Watts. Like, uh, even on the early, you know, the really early stuff. Um, but there was something that he always got that I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't mimic him, but he could teach me to be better. So that's where I got my meter from. That's where I got my, um, really my love of the song and playing to the song, uh, you know, cause that's what he does. Like he does genius stuff, completely genius, but it all is to kind of move the song along right you know like like sympathy for the devil like it's crazy but like what else could it be like that's the only beat and um everything he did was just so perfect for the song and i remember being really young and getting um some girls right so that's one of my favorite albums of theirs and that was like i was old enough to like not have to go back and get it like like this wasn't an old album it was their mm -hmm. new album and I remember sitting in the basement and playing along with it like playing to uh shattered right and and working on my foot and being like wow this is really fast like I could but I can do this so I learned so much from the guy and more than anything I think what you said about him playing for Keith is so true like I've watched so many documentaries and and uh, I was just watching Stones in Exile the other night, just as I was, you know, mm -hmm. crying about Charlie. Um, and there's somebody says like, you know, they play pretty, they play for a couple of days, pretty like poorly. And then all of a sudden you'd see Keith get a look in his eye and he'd look at Charlie. And then we knew we had something and then <clears throat> Bill would come in. So I think really that connection between Charlie and Keith and Mick really is what drove those hits and I think he did want to he did want he wanted to collaborate with them he wanted to be part of that cog and I think that that's like the best thing that a drummer can do like want to collaborate and be part of it and feel that thing that you feel when you're playing with your mates with your best mates like oh my god this feels 
this feels different. This feels better, you know? So that, that's something that I always took away from him. And one other thing, which is a little, not odd, but, you know, my parents are very straight laced and I actually am very straight laced also for the most part, like, you know, I've never really done any drugs in my life. And I think that's because I was so um, exposed to music at such a young age. My parents were always like, Oh, well, that's Jimi Hendrix. That's a picture of Jimi Hendrix. And he died because of drugs. Or same with Janis Joplin. He died because of drugs. And I remember my parents, you know, really being down on the Rolling Stones, like, oh, they're, you know, they're on drugs and they're going to die. And um, I, you know, that didn't stop me from them being my favorite band at all. But I remember like looking at Charlie and or hearing that, you know, Charlie was like the straight laced guy, you know, he was a gentleman, he wore a suit. Um, he was, he was in it for being the drummer. And I think, you know, I always look to him like, man, this is a guy who, who didn't have to go down that road. He didn't have to, you know, part, he knew what his job was and it was to hold everything solid. So I think he was a good role model for that. And, you know, what a great life he had. And I, I, I'm trying to figure out why it's like, I'm so sad about it. Like, you know, the guy was 80, he's toured for 50 years, right? He's, he's worth millions of dollars. He has beautiful, uh, you know, a beautiful family. He's got grandkids. Like as far as musicians go, like that is the best life, I guess, that you could have, right? Like he's had everything and he's done it his way. You know, he, he's never probably played a show to three people ever, you know, right? His whole life, like cream of the crop. So I guess I shouldn't be sad. You know, I, I'm sad for our loss, you know, um, but I'm happy that he had such an amazing, amazing life. Cause I think that's really, you know, that's what he wanted to do and he did it and he, he, nobody has done it better than Charlie Watts. So said it all right there, Casey. That you you nailed all of that like perfectly. That that yeah, I mean, what can we say that hasn't been said over the course of this past few days, you know? But it, yeah. it is certainly a sad um it marks like I said, stones aren't are supposed to go forever, you know, and it, it marks this like passing of of time, you know. Um yeah. I first started getting into the stones. I was a little late. It was a little later. I was kind of a heavy metal kid in the eighties. And then towards the end of the eighties, bands like the black crows and Aerosmith started really getting popular. And therefore I started digging into bands that may have influenced them. And that's kind of how I got into it, you know? And, uh, but to think that, so the first time I saw them was in 94 on the voodoo lounge tour, Brian, I think you said that was yours. Also. Yeah. Mine as well. We were both, I believe, both at the Soldier Field show. I think you went to both, but I think one I went was like on Sunday. Yep. I was. I don't remember much of that day, sadly, but. I went to seven shows on the Voodoo Lounge. Wow. Nice. Um, That was kind of the beginning of, you know, but to think that just seems like yesterday to me. And now like, I just didn't ever want to realize that there was a day that there we would be living on on earth without charlie watts right <laughs> true that's and so true I woke up on wednesday morning i got he died tuesday right on wednesday morning like i don't even want to like how am i ever going to face the world without charlie watts in it yeah i was that exactly how i felt yeah it reminded me of when i was a kid i was a really young kid when elvis died 
and everybody was so sad around me, you know, like family, everywhere you went, everyone was sad. People were crying. Like it was like, and at the time, you know, I was probably six years old or something when Elvis died. And at the time, I remember kind of being like startled, like all these people are crying because this guy died who they didn't even know. Or, you know what? I was like six years old. But I literally shed those kind of tears on Tuesday and Wednesday in the same. And it made me realize that like someone could touch you from that far, you know? And wow. Yeah. And I was also sad that I, selfishly, I'll never get to meet the man. I, I really, he's high on my list of people. I would have liked to have a chance to say hi and thank you to. And uh, yeah, obviously I'm high on a lot of people's list and I'm sure that, there's a lot of people selfishly sad for the same reason, but um, I always thought there was going to be that moment where I had a chance to shake his hand and say hi and thank you. And, uh, and now that's not to be, you know, but it is the stones and you don't, Tracy, you never got near the stones at all. Have you, you've never met any of them. Have you? No, actually the closest I got was uh, I saw the steel wheel wheels tour. They were played met uh, the met stadium and I was so far away that it wasn't great. You know, I didn't have the, it wasn't the best concert. But a couple of years ago, Kathy Valentine, uh, who's the bass player from the Go-Go's, we're, we're friends and she's a huge Stones fan. And, you know, she, her band opened up, the Go-Go's opened for them and sure, she's sure. hung out with them. So she's told me some, you know, like amazing stories about them, but she wow. got these VIP passes to see them in Detroit. And, you know, she's so much fun. She's always up for an adventure. She called me and she's like, listen, I have, you know, backstage passes and VIP tickets for the Stones. Do you want to get on a plane and go to Detroit? She's like, I'll meet you there. I'm in Texas. I was like, hell yeah. Wow. So we went and um, we did get backstage and, you know, she's still uh, the Keith's guitar tech. His name is Pierre. And he was so happy to see her. He brought us back and, you know, like this is before anybody was probably, you know, the audience was there, but the Stones probably weren't even on site yet. And he showed us, you know, these are all Keith's guitars and, uh, you know, all of Ron's guitars. And I held one and, you know, it was pretty mind blowing. And I was just trying to, to like, first of all, I'm there with Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's and there were some other, um, I forget who, but there were some other like well-known people there. So I'm just trying to be cool. Like I, I don't belong here. I'm just going to be cool. Let me just not break a sweat. Um, but then as soon as like the stones were entering the area, they were like, all right, everybody's out. And there was no backstage. Everybody was, you know, they all arrived in their own cars. We watched the whole set. They, they were on fire, Charlie and Mick, especially like Mick shook his ass for three hours. Charlie Watts kicked ass for three hours straight. And these are, you know, they, this is only a couple of years ago. They were still pretty old. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then it was over and we saw them all leave in their separate suburbans. Like they were, you know, they all went, got jumped in their car, gone. You know, we were like, bye. But um, that's the closest I ever got. And wow. Uh, yeah. And, and awesome. not yeah. close enough, but. <laughs> really cool just to be part, part that close to the action. Yeah. In it like that. Yeah. That's uh yeah, I've never, I mean, I've met some pretty famous people, including Tom Petty, Steven Tyler. Wow. Uh, yeah, I've, I've hung out, but never got close to the Stones for, you know, I was always just a, a, a ticket holding concert goer, you know, going to the gig. But 
I'm sure for a lot of people that are way more famous than me, probably the same scenario. It's the Stones, you know? Right, right, yeah. And that's the other thing with, with any of them passing away. And and there's still so many people like McCartney and Ringo and Jimmy Page, yeah. Robert Plant and Dylan. Like, eventually, I mean, just by law of average and, and numbers and lifespans and age, we're going to have to go through this a bunch of times in our lifetime that are going to kind of be the witnessing the slow death of, I don't want to say the death of rock and roll, because as long as I'm here, it's going to be. <laughs> That's right. Both of you. That's right. But it's sad. It, 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 it's going to hurt. And, and we're going to have to, I, you know, I don't know how many times I want to be part of one of these eulogy tributes. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But this one meant a lot to me. And, I, I didn't know you were a drummer. That's, that's, you know, I wish someone would have told me that before this started. That's so cool, Tracy. I had no <laughs> idea. And uh, that's, thank even, you. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you play on any of your, uh, like your Jane Lee Hooker records or no? Like, no, not at all. Yeah. I haven't done, I haven't played in, I haven't played a show and I did a reunion show with one of my old bands a couple of years ago, but oh really? Yeah, yeah, I can still play. It's like, it, it is like riding a bike I mean I, I felt rusty but yeah I used to I used to play a lot and I really really enjoyed it and I was always in a good mood like when you're a drummer you're always in a good mood right like are you ever like grumpy yeah if I yeah if, if, if you know if I've been on the road for a few weeks and I got to yeah. bring drums in and I haven't slept but three or four hours because we had to <laughs> Yeah, playing in a band and a blah blah blah. Then I can get grumpy at times, but but I'll tell you, after this pandemic, no more grumpiness at gigs, no matter what, because you take gigs away for sixteen months. Uh, I didn't know what to do with myself, and I'm just like, I'm never gonna complain ever. Yeah, I'm not a big complainer. You're not a complainer. I've met you a couple times, and you're definitely not. And you always look so happy before, during, and after your sets. You can tell so much that you love playing and that you love who you're playing with. And I think that is so beautiful. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely true for sure. Yeah. I love it. You know, are you, last are you, night when we were talking to Patrick, we, we talked about the technical aspect of people said that Charlie played behind the beat and he was trying to, Pat was trying to explain that to us. And as not drummers, we kind of like, we, we understand that's the case, but I'm wondering if both of you could, try to explain that playing behind the beat. And I also would always hear that he played, uh, he followed Keith. So Joe, if you want to go first and then Tracy, if you guys want to talk um, about that stuff. The behind the beat thing. And I've heard a lot of people address this this week. Um, it's a feel thing and it's kind of something you can't teach in my opinion. And it's kind of like a, it a lot of the English guys, English drummers, Bonham, and Ginger Baker and Simon Kirk from Free and Bad Company. And they got this thing where the snare drum falls like just a millisecond in this pocket right behind two and four that it, it you, it's hard to explain and it's impossible to teach. It's like a feel thing. And I think it all comes from the blues, you know, from listening. They are all listening to the all the American blues drummers, you know, um, Fred Bilo with Holland Wolf and Muddy Waters and Willie Big Eye Smith and all these guys that played on Muddy and Little Walter's records and and they grew up on that stuff and 
With with Charlie, maybe there was a combination of he was also really into big band swing and and jazz drummers and 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 jazz. You know, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about jazz as much as I love it, but it's certainly around the beat the way that jazz drummers play. It's never really a direct one, two, three, four kind of thing. So with Charlie, I think there's some sort of magic that is kind of a mixture of listening to jazz growing up and then studying the blues with Keith and Brian, Brian Jones in the early days. And, and actually recently listened to Charlie interview on uh, Sirius XM where he talks about those early days and how much Brian knew about the blues and how much he taught, like really was able to kind of show the other guys, Mick and Keith and, and, uh, and Charlie. And, and, and so it's kind of an innate thing, like a, a thing that just you either get it, you either got it or you don't. And I, fortunately, I, I don't know if it's because of my left-handed, because I do play left-handed. And I don't know if it's something about my lazy right hand or what, but I seem to have that thing too, because people always talk about like musicians and, and people that I play with, they're always like, man, I love your groove. It's like lazy. It's like right behind the beat. And that's what they're talking about, you know? And it's, would you not agree, Tracy, that it's like impossible to teach something like that? Yeah, totally. It's just part of his DNA. Now, yeah. you're conventional grip, right, Jim? Huh? You, you play conventional grip, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I saw you, I was like, oh, that dude's playing conventional grip, which I love and I n- never did well. But I think that might have something to it. Like Charlie's conventional grip. I think that his definitely his jazz um, upbringing and also just like his sense of peace about where he is. Like he's not anticipating anything. He's not rushing anything. He's just sitting down and doing his beat and he he's happy and he's there. It's yeah. just, you, you can't teach it. It's just like putting something, just, just putting, you know, your hand in a mitt, you know, it's just like, there it is. It just works. That's almost exactly what Pat said too. I mean, almost verbatim. Really? Oh, awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's magical. And I, you know, I love traditional grip. Um, I think that drummers that can do that um, sound, you know, I can hear it without seeing it. I can say, oh, that's a, that's conventional drummer. There, there's something in the swing. It's more of, of a it. swing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause that it's, is it's, so beautiful and sexy and it's classy you know, it's, and, and very classy. Yes, absolutely. It really is. Cause I mean, that's the traditional way of doing it. Yeah. And, and to address the thing about playing to Keith, Brian, um, uh, Tracy said it earlier, like, Charlie was really, he played for the song. And I think that a lot of times his accents were based around the guitar parts. Like he would play accents and fills and drum parts that almost were like a melody inside a melody that like were based around the guitar rhythms and even the vocals. Like, and a lot of drummers don't, you were saying it earlier, Tracy, like he wanted to be part of that, signature thing like he wanted his part to matter to be like part of what those guys were saying he wanted to say it with them and a lot of drummers just kind of put the put the click on and just 
bash through the beat and pick a couple of fills and a couple of cymbal hits and all right, there's your track. And yeah, but it was more old school to try to come up with catchy drum parts. And a lot of times I think they, they happen for Charlie off of Keith's rhythms, off of yeah. the, the actual rhythm guitar parts. So. I was just listening um, to, I was uh, listening to rip this joint Mm -hmm. I mean, the way he, you know, it starts with the guitar riff and then Charlie just comes in, crack, crack. And it's like, Charlie's here. It's like so perfect. And it's just, you know, perfect, unmistakable Charlie Watts. For sure. And also he did a lot of stuff like, because some girls was a, came out and I was just old enough to like this, this is like, I'm getting it. I'm opening the wrapper on some girls. Right. So I was still super young, but it was the first for new material I had. Um, and he did like his over the time, over the years, his style changed, but he had a period from like some girls through tattoo you right where he did like such memorable stuff that is totally different than what he used to do. Like, for example, like in, um, in Beast of Burden, right, right, like he does those bat bats, like, and that 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 kind of carries through in a lot of that of some girls and a lot of tattoo you, and it's very like Charlie Watts there, you know, just like, and he's taking the he's taking his hand off the his stick off the hi hat, and he, while he's cracking those, like they're just so groovy, and it's just two hits in in a place you wouldn't put them, and they're just like oh, just magic. Yeah. So I I I love stuff like that. Like you can make a song, you can make a hit out of just like a song with a catchy, cool drum lick. Like, but it, that's not overbearing or anything. It's just so simple, but it's so pocket that like everyone gets a little goosebump when they hear it and they remember that part. So for sure, you nailed it. After, yeah. I agree a hundred percent. And it was around I think the some girls' time that. Maybe even Charlie started to like come into his own style for like the modern Stones era, you know, where, like you said, it was a little different, but I think that like his grooves kind of drove the way the sound was going to go into the 80s and, and yeah. you know, like it was the new modern era of the Stones and it was based around his his grooves, man, his beats and, and, and they even dabbled in some like disco-like kind of beats. Yeah. He drove oh. the floor on the floor beats just like he just drove it, you know, the drove the whole band. And, and yeah. who would have thought, you know, this blues band from from London would go into this modern era with such a, a, a funky style. And it was there again. It was all based on Charlie's grooves and his yep. drumming, you know. Yep. For sure. So much there. I mean. One of my favorite songs is Dance Part One, and it's from Emotional Rescue, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that drum beat's crazy, and the whole band is crazy on that. It's like, it comes out of nowhere, and it's so good. Like, that, you know, that's why the Stones are, are, are the greatest rock and roll band in the world. You know, they took us all these different places for all those years, you know, all those, all those different eras. They, they nailed them all, you know. They did. Except, except grunge, which is okay. 
Which is fine. I don't want to hear the Stones grunge. No, exactly. I can't. I kind of do. I don't know what that would sound like. Uh, well, uh, smiling here, just talking about. You know, yeah. On Zoom, and I, I guess the podcast listeners won't be able to see that, but we're we're all sitting here just with smiles, just just talking about the guy and 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 talking about the music, you know, and 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 that's what. That's powerful stuff, you know, that it can make people just remember and smile. And and it's what keeps me listening and playing and and inspired, you know, just yeah. being that happy to just have music. And I love hearing professional musicians, especially those that have been professional drummers, our professional drummers, talk about this stuff. This is, it's like I'm listening to the podcast and that's what Brian and I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fascinating to listen Aww. to this, yeah. That's so um, sweet. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Well, along with uh, Charlie Tribute, you guys uh, both want to give like a just a brief update on what's going on with Steepwater and Jane Lee Hooker. Joe, you want to start? Sure. Um, we are back to work finally after 16 months. We've been playing yes. about Fourth of July weekend. We just went and played a festival out in Telluride, the Ride Festival out there. Um, we're pretty centralized in the Midwest, though, right now, just because. I, I don't know about, and Tracy, you can tell us here in a second, but we had to cancel a bunch of stuff in Europe because of COVID. Our record came out in April of 20, and oh. pretty much the record came out, and we shut down three different tours in Europe and everything for almost a year and a half, you know, 16 months. So we're, we're finally playing the new music live. We're not going to keep it from, um, you know, still having our excitement to play the new tunes so we're playing a bunch of it live um and we actually during during the the lockdown we went in and recorded about seven or eight more tunes and so we haven't really announced the exact plan but we're going to put out another record probably by the end of this year and wow thinking it's going to be a companion piece to turn of the wheel. So oh, nice. take that for what it is. It's going to be, I mean, as far as people listening, we're not exactly sure what that means if it's a part two or, but because turn of the wheel kind of got the shaft because of COVID, we still want to take that to Europe. So we're trying to figure out a way to almost have like a one and two or a uh, maybe turn of the wheel and return of the wheel or something. We're not really sure. Ooh, return of the wheel. I, I like that. That's catchy. Yeah, and we've got yeah. like a couple outtake things hanging around and, and a bunch of new songs and cover song or two. So uh, we're putting something together by the end of the year. We're hoping to get back to Europe next year and ramp things up. You know, I, who knows? It's so up and down and mixed messages and different protocol in different States that I, I don't know what's going to happen with touring, but I'm always ready for the gig. How about you, Tracy? What's going on with, with Jane Lee Hooker? Oh, well, we, um, we just finished recording. We, we had a really, you know, COVID here was just, I mean, everywhere COVID was crazy. We have a, we have a rehearsal space in, um, in Brooklyn and, you know, all the buildings were shut down. So there was no, possibility whatsoever to go in and rehearse with our equipment or anything for a long time and you know everyone's in an apartment so it's not like you know we've got we can play loud together anywhere but we did um go out so dana 
Tina and our, our new drummer. So we had, we had just hired a new drummer. I think his first time playing with us was May 9th. And we were like, I didn't know that really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa, had quit, Melissa had quit and we called in one of my one of my oldest and one of my favorite drummers of all time. His name's Ron Salvo. He played in Bad Wizard with Tina. He played in bands with in Helderado with me and Tina. We've we've known each other for 25 years. Cool. I called him and I was like, you know, can you come in and do this recording? And uh, because we were just demoing for, you know, thinking everything was gonna be smooth. We had tours booked for you know 21, 22 in Europe. Um so, you know, we were like, oh, you're great. You know, do you want to join the band? And he was like, I, I'm dying to join the band. Of course. I was like, all right, well, get your passports ready, sir, because we're out. We're out of here. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, like two weeks later, we were like, wah, wah. no one's going anywhere. Um, yeah. And strangely enough, he happened to live on the same block as Dana in Bay Ridge. So like he was, he just, he just folded into the mix so beautifully, but we would go to Dana's backyard. She's got a, a really gorgeous backyard in this uh, townhouse um, that her family's had for years. And we would just have acoustic guitars and he would play on, he would play like on the recycling bin. Like he'd bring his sticks and we just wrote and whatever came out, we just, just went with it. So we, we eventually took all that stuff um and took it to the studio and we recorded it we just actually finished all the tracking last week and it's being mixed right now and it will be out i don't even know when but i uh before november it's going to be released cool and uh so it's different for sure because we were all like it was just such a weird time and we didn't have you know the power that we had you know like with having giant half stack you know my my orange half stack i didn't have you know i was just playing out there plucking along and it was really fun it it we really enjoyed it um and we made the best out of what you know we could but we are dying to get out there again and you know um everything we had is now pushed back to 2022 we just did some we did a blues fest in massachusetts a, a couple of weekends ago and we had okay. We had four weekends of shows, but nothing like where we're getting in the van and going out for like three, four or five weeks. Yeah. And that won't happen until 2022. And, you know, I, I if, if nothing else, I hope that this time that everybody has been suffering without live music, it brings that spirit back to people where they're like, if I don't see a live band and, and I don't participate in this music with other people, I'm going to lose my mind. I hope it brings everybody out and just, you know, in en masse to see to see live shows again you know especially here europe is always easy you know they, they love music so much they'll come out every night of the week just to to see it um but and america needs a dose of that yes we do sir come on in you can come in i'm sorry agreed. Guys. you're fine agreed good luck <laughs> sorry life gets in the way of the rock and roll lifestyle Will we get a Steepwater Jane Lee Hooker tour sometime? Ooh. Oh, I would love that. I've, I've, I've said that since the first time I saw them in New York City. I was like, we got we to gotta tour with these guys. It would be so great. Yeah, anytime. Let us know. Was that you that, that said, hey, we should do something on the West Coast? That was me. That was you, right? I'm always thinking, yeah. I got on a comment or something on Facebook, and then I kind of like mentioned that to Jeff, our singer, and he was like, really? He's like, was she serious? And I'm like, well, I mean, 
Yeah. I, I comment on Facebook, but I, I think, yeah, I'm sure there would be serious <laughs> opportunities if we could organize it. So, um, yeah, but that let's do it. And, and we should, we should go out and play LA and San Diego and San Francisco. And we got, we got a really cool club in Sacramento that we play. And, uh, oh, nice. Yeah. And Vegas. I mean, we could, we could probably string some stuff up if we really tried, you know. I think so too. I think I think it and it's a, it would be a great match, man. It'd be great to see you guys every night. I'd be so excited. That would be the rest a lot of the band would too. Yeah, that and, and you never know when we're gonna cross paths in Europe. I I know happened yet because we both go there a lot. I know. It will yeah. knock people out that with that double whammy. Oh my god, it, it will it would be over the top. Just come to Ohio, please, if you do this. <laughs> I do need to go to, we need to go to Ohio. We haven't been to Ohio in, in too long, too long. Yeah. See what I just did there, Jason? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we just got a tour. Yeah, I like that. We are promoters in our yeah, heads. Well, be careful. You stay much more and you'll end up being a promoter. I, I've seen it happen. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining us on the Charlie Watch Tribute. It's Joe Winters from the Steepwater Band, Tracy Hightop from Jane Lee Hooker. Uh, we really, really appreciate you guys helping out, helping us out with that. And it's just been fascinating to listen to you too. I think Joe, I think we could probably talk for about Charlie Watts and the Stones for another like three or four weeks. For so if we go on tour, that's all we're doing, Joe. Talking about the Stones. Yeah. I mean, it's already made me feel better. So. Me too. Me too. Honestly, like I feel better. Like I have little tears in my eyes, but they're happier tears. Thank you. Right on guys. Awesome. Thank you, Joe and Tracy. And always remember Southern rock is reverent. Blues is blood. Charlie Watts. Rest easy, my man.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.